Hello and welcome to the Data for Subscriptions podcast, where we focus on how to succeed with subscriptions and as a service businesses. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Steve back to the show. Steve is head of product marketing at Digital Route. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Peter. Nice to be back. So today we're going to speak about software as a service businesses or SaaS, as we'll refer to it. Before we get into speaking about the state of SaaS business, why are we focusing on SaaS to begin with? Well, I mean, SaaS is a fascinating, fascinating market. I mean, you know, the, um, it, you know, it's it's been booming for many, many years. You know, we'll talk about this a little bit later. Um, the, you know, the important thing is it's a win-win strategy if companies get it right. It's a win-win because it enables them to grow you know, really well and really cost effectively. But at the same time, it also gives their uh, developers the opportunity to um, be more creative and uh, and get more services to market. Um, but it is arguably the most mature market of the of the ex service uh, industry evolution that we're seeing. Let's talk about the state of the SaaS market then. What are some of the key numbers that you can share with us if you look back the past 10 years? You know, the SaaS market has really been growing for, for over 10 years. You know, we've seen this for some time now, especially being in the software industry like we are. Um, <clears throat> but if we go back to 2017, uh, you know, companies um, were stating back then that, uh, you know, they'd increased the, their SaaS software usage by 33% compared to 2016. So right back then, even five years ago, there was a massive growth in play. But today, you know, over 70% of companies have, have submitted that almost all of their software applications are going to be SaaS-based, you know, which is which is really interesting and, and, and poignant about the particular market. Um, you know, this, you know, the SAF the SaaS-based software and IT industry has increased in size by around 500% in the past seven right. years, which is, you know, staggering, really. Um, you know, who wouldn't uh, wish to be part of that particular that particular growth? And according to a report from Allied Market Research, the global SaaS market size was valued at over $121 billion back in 2020, um, although it's projected to reach over $700 billion by 2030, which is a, you know, a combined annual growth rate of uh, 19 percent uh, for the next nine years you know eight, eight to nine years which is just incredible you know yeah. it's, it's it's fantastic and you know SaaS is thought to be the most important tech in in business success you know at the moment and it's proven by the fact that you know the US has got approximately eight uh, eight times more SaaS companies um, than any other country so still impressive numbers if we look ahead the next eight years but slightly lower growth numbers than what we've experienced the first the first couple of years uh, for SaaS businesses. And we're going to come back to why that might be and what are some of the challenges now that SaaS-based businesses are facing. But can you talk to us about some of the uh, successful companies if we still look back of the companies that have had enjoyed this tremendous growth? Yeah, sure. I mean, many of them are household names. You know, you, you talk about the likes of Adobe, mm -hmm. uh, for example, uh, Salesforce, very big in the business world, um, ServiceNow. You know, these companies have all seen tremendous growth over the, over recent years, um, even going back 10 years, you know, over 10 years. Um, you know, there are other examples, you know, such as Infor, NetSuite by Oracle, um, Bamboo HR, um, uh, Shopify, HubSpot. You know, the list can go goes on. I mean, even Datadog. Uh, recently, we had, uh, I know we had Jonas speaking on the on the podcast about uh, about Datadog. So yeah, I mean, there's you know there's lots of um, examples of, of of these type of companies. So I would reflect that we are starting to see some what I refer to as growth pains, but we can also just simplify by saying there's some challenges that SaaS based uh, businesses are facing. 
Um, and um, can you uh, just give us a, a flavor of what those challenges are more specifically? Yeah, most most specifically, it's related to the pricing models. Um, so there's, you know, I'll talk about it, you know, a little bit a little bit later. But you know, there are a number of pricing models which are out there, mm-hmm. and these these uh, SaaS companies now are uh, they're looking for ways to grow. Um, and they've got a choice of, of these different pricing models to choose from, but which one of them is going to be successful for them? That's that's the biggest challenge, you know. And one of the biggest trends, as we've you know we've been talking about quite regularly, is the shift to um, usage based, uh, adopting usage based models as opposed to traditional models. You know that seems to be the you know the most common trend at the moment. Let's come back to that one then. When it comes to usage based as a bit of a solution to the challenge, but you also often talk about the fact that there are. Uh, two different modes to SaaS, which is horizontal and vertical SaaS. Can you talk about the differences between those two? Yeah, it's important to understand that because I think we tend to, you know, as an industry sometimes, we tend to group it and talk about the SaaS market. Mm. Um, but there are two very distinct markets within that, um, that are vertical SaaS and horizontal SaaS, as you know, it's sometimes termed. So vertical vertical SaaS is essentially these companies that have, are building um, software as a service, but very specifically for the industry that they are in. And when we're talking about X as a service or anything as a service evolution, which, you know, we are talking about at the moment, other industries other than software and IT are now starting to move from physical products to, um, you know, offering their their products as a service. Um, and this is where we're seeing the verticalized SaaS solutions started to come out. So if you take a look at, I mean, just pick one example. If we go into education, for example, um, there's a software company called Blackboard. Mm-hmm. So Blackboard offer educational software and you subscribe to that and then you register for seminars and you can get various learning resources and access to that. And there's various things which go into that particular software as a service that they offer. Um, And then you've got horizontal SaaS. So horizontal SaaS is the one that we're more familiar with. So when we tend to talk about SaaS growth and SaaS pricing models, we're generally talking about horizontal SaaS. And these are the type of business applications which can sit across any industry. Um, you know, this is, you know, the, you know typical examples like ERP software, um, CRM software. You know, these are the common examples that we see. And you've got companies like I said, Salesforce um, offering CRM and, and sales automation. You've got Sugar CRM, you've got HubSpot, SAP, uh, Microsoft Dynamics, Zoho. All of these companies are in the horizontal SaaS space. And let's talk about the pricing models because we know that there are several modes that are being in, that are in play today. But sometimes um, we would benefit from also understanding the terminology of what they stand for because we might mean different things. If we level set on the various pricing models we see and the definition of those, then from there, let's move to uh, uh, closer to the what you already flagged for, which is the usage-based or consumption-based. Yeah, I think this really brings it home. You know, when we talk about pricing model complexity and you know what the SaaS companies are challenged by, um, you know, there's this. I've got a list here of seven seven different pricing models that they could be adopting. Okay. So this is the, the state of what they have to do in terms of choosing which model to go with. So the first one and the most common one is um, flat rate flat rate pricing. 
Um, and this we see across multiple industries, not not just referring to um, uh, to software and IT. Um, so this is, you know, um, flat rate, you pay monthly fee and you get access to the software. You know, typically we've talked about it with media and entertainment in some of the other right. podcasts that we've talked about. Um, then you've got tier-based pricing. So this is where you've got different tiers of you get access to different types of software or different type of um, the size of your company will fit into one of these tiers. And this is very, very common at the moment with a lot of the CRM applications um, where you've got um, tier-based pricing. So you'll have like an enterprise tier and you'll have a, you know, a free tier and you will have a, you know, an extreme tier or professional tier or something like that. Um, then you've got um, user-based pricing. So this is also often referred to as license-based uh, and this is the most commonly and uh, most common model that we see in, in these CRM type companies at the moment um, where you are buying your licenses. And again, this is tied into tiers as well. So you basically buy your license and you buy your license to a specific tier. Correct. So that's a, you know, a combination of those. Um, Feature-based pricing is something not so, not so common, um, but it's another way you can do it. If you've got very specific um, feature definitions within your software, you may have like 10 specific feature sets. You can and price them individually, you know, so get access to them. Um, Credit-based pricing is another one. So this is where you'd pay up front um, and then you would basically meter the usage of that particular uh, software um, and, and that would gradually chip away at the credits that you've got or the tokens that you have earned based on that. Um, usage-based pricing. Now, this is the one that we talk about very, very regularly and this is based on consumption. And what's interesting about usage-based pricing is the mechanism of calculating usage um, is a mechanism which is used across many of those other models. It's just not monetized. So usage-based pricing is when we really monetize that, that particular model and that particular mechanism. And then the other big one, <clears throat> or the final one, I should say, is, is hybrid pricing. So hybrid pricing, again, is a way that you properly adhere to the expectations of your customers. So you give them the options of some some license, some tier, some usage base, and they can chop and change, and they can pretty much shop as to which model best suits the way that they operate as a company. Um, so this kind of gives you a, an idea of the decisions that SaaS-based companies have to make when they're, when they're seeing that they've got challenges with their existing models and they need to move to another one. So we know which one do they choose. So a couple of quick observations from my end. One is that there are a couple of these different pricing models that are quite similar. We might name them differently, but the premise is quite the same, which is that you pay a certain fee and you uh, consume a license or you consume a tier. Uh, the second observation is uh, the immense complexity that companies face when it comes to combining the needs of a user versus the different kind of pricing and the services they provide. And the third one is that usage-based, what you mentioned, that the premise of that one, which is to basically calculate and monetize the, the usage events and the data points goes across most of them. But the difference between usage-based and the ones that we've seen so far is the data points are there, but they are basically not being monetized, i.e. Yeah, yeah. um, we are providing what we refer to as these simple uh, license-based uh, modes, all you can eat within that license. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And what's in, I mean, what's interesting about them, I think, is that, you know, the more that you, you think about um, user based or license based, which is what we've um, we're, we're familiar with. And then you look at where the world is now. 
um, those older models are not aligned to best um, address customer experience. And when we're in a position where there are many options of the types of software you can buy, I mean, if you go onto the web now and you do a search for CRM, yes, you'll come up with Salesforce and um, Salesforce and SAP and HubSpot and those sort of applications. But there will be pages upon pages of other startup companies which are doing CRM type applications. So there's plenty of options out there. So if these big companies if they don't start thinking about customer experience and really contextualizing the way that they price their, their services to match the needs of their customers and the way those customers want to use the software, then there's a higher risk of churn. You know, it's, it's very real. So they've got to think creatively on how they can not only um, work best to uh, improve their revenue growth, but also serve their customers better. And we've talked about this when we've had the discussion on another episode with yourself on uh, the streaming industry. What you just said now is quite important because it's the perceived value, right? This is Absolutely. when you talk about customer yeah. experience because yeah. what we've seen in the streaming industry is that we've, all of us as consumers have really enjoyed uh, paying for that called license or tier. We consume the content, but it's quite obvious now that we are at a point where the perceived value of what we're paying is not the same. Therefore, we see customers basically churning. Mm. So it's an interesting point that you're raising. Yeah. But and I think, if, you know, the mechanisms are there as well. So the mechanisms are there to enable these companies to um, give uh, or to be agile enough Correct. to adhere to what customers' expectations are. And I think it's a mental shift to say, right, if I'm going to serve these customers, I need to understand what their usage patterns are. Right. And then I need to tailor something which can best suit them. Right. Now, you can't tailor your software to every single individual customer's needs and, you know, and, and preempt what they're going to need. But what you can do is put yourself in a position so that you properly understand the customer 360 degrees. You know, over time, the type of features and functions and capabilities of your software that they've been using to serve their business. So you can then serve them better and they're more likely to stay with you because they're seeing more value for money. And this is something very real. Because if I look at what's on my table now is that we have here at Digital Route a number of software that we use for specifically for sales and marketing. And right now I have on my table questions on how many seats do we need, how many licenses do we need for the number of people within Digital Route that need access to these mm. different tools. Mm. And uh, probably no surprise that we're always scrutinizing if we can use less licenses because we want to save on cost. Mm. Now imagine if these different firms would have a bit more of a flexible usage-based model, then it wouldn't be this on and off. Either you have 15 licenses or you don't have 15 licenses, which which is the case. This is the toggle that we play with. This is the option that I can play with today. So what you're saying yeah. is that there could be a different way where it's not necessarily black and white between you have a license or you don't have a license. It's, it's measured on a different axis. But can I ask you, uh, do you have any numbers in terms of where SaaS companies are, which pricing model they're using more or less 
Do you have a statistic on it? Yeah, I think um, you know half of the. If you take it, that half of the biggest SaaS companies in the you know in the world at the moment um, still use user um, or seat based, license based um, uh, models, um, and normally they accompany that with something like a one month free trial right. um, of uh, of certain functionality. Um, and also, an interesting stat is that um, you know a third of SaaS startups are actually coming to market now um, with usage-based pricing. So they are obviously reading what's going on in the market um, and not having to go down the legacy route of pricing per per user, which is restrictive and it's not helping with growth. Um, they're coming to market with usage-based straight away, which right. is really interesting. Okay, so if we summarize mm. the challenges, and we started off with uh, growth stalling, but we've also touched customer experience and we've touched the fact that we're seeing uh, churn, customers leaving, and that's an obvious risk as well. How do we solve for this? I think, you know, a, a good way to explain this, and we did this when we talked about the Median Entertainment podcast some weeks ago, um, is, is to talk to it through a, <clears throat> through a use case. Okay. You know? So, you know, if I, um, you know, if we talk about a company, let's call them Pepper CRM. So Pepper CRM, um, they offer sales automation, CRM-based software sit in the horizontal in the horizontal SaaS space. Uh, ultimately, Pepper CRM, that you know what they want to do is become uh, the top challenger brand to the leading players. So the sales forces of this world, you know, they want to be the key challenger. Um, but they really want to double down on customer experience because they believe that's going to be their differentiator. But they've got you know they've got a business challenge um, at the moment, like a, like the other CRM. Companies, their um, you know their growth is being restricted by their current user-based license um, uh, model, and um, like you mentioned before. Um, customers are failing to add additional licenses um, because it's too restrictive, you mm-hmm. know. And this is again something that we, you know, we see quite a lot: is that the jump from one tier to the next tier, not only are you adding additional seats, but the price per seat of the next tier has usually got a big a big price hike as well. So you kind of get, customers are getting double hit with that. And this is exactly what Pepper CRM's model is because when they set up some years ago, um, they modeled themselves on Salesforce, <laughs> ironically, um, who they now want to try and beat. So that's that's the challenge that they've got. Um, so they need to bring a, a solution to market which will enable them to to launch a new business model which is going to be derived on usage-based, usage-based data. So they're trying to be creative about that. However, um, this challenge is compounded because um, they understand that they've got a significant data challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, as they have grown over time, they've gone from having homegrown, homegrown built integrations. Right. Um, they've grown horizontally in terms of how many customers they've got. They've deepened the uh, the capabilities of the of the solution set, the, cap- uh, the the product itself. So you've got different servers and different touch points. So all of a sudden, the homegrown solution that they had which is working quite well for them is really struggling it's squeaking at the seams uh, in terms of being able to manage the data they need so this is pretty much what they need to do they need to solve their data challenge um, at the same time as launch a new a new business model that's pretty much what they're trying to do so in the case of Pepper CRM then how did they go about it and what did they 
do to kind of solve for this? So this is uh, this is really where you know we we introduce digital route. Obviously, I mean that's that's why we're here. We introduce a digital route solution um, to automate you know increase the amount of automation. So the problem they've got is there's still a number of manual steps, and in the manual steps that they've got deployed at the moment, they're realising that they're missing data points, etc., which ultimately will lead to revenue leakage. Another pain point. Um, so what the digital route solution has done is introduced a lot of automation in terms of how they collect and process the data that they're trying to collect from their their, their broad um, um, architecture, uh, their IT architecture. Um, once the digital route solution um, captures all of the data that's necessary, um, it maps it to specific users. So who's tried to access the software? It checks whether they are entitled to use the software itself, um, and then it measures which applications and functions that that user is using from the software and then based on that it then obviously creates the business model and the charging model um, you know from that information and then that information that they've got the you know the single record that they can then produce for that specific user can then get passed not only for billing but it can also get passed into the customer experience team um, <clears throat> and the insights from that from that data that's being collected can be fed into product management and uh, you know analytics etc to understand how customers Customers, not just one customer, how customers are using and adopting the software. And by doing that, they can be more agile in the way they price and package the software to individual customers. So that's really the solution that's, you know, that's been deployed in, uh, in Pepper CRM. To circle back to the customer experience play that Pepper CRM wants to do to kind of build a stronger position in the market... So what you're saying is deploying a usage-based model obviously impacts how you price, yes. But having... Can I say a real-time dialogue with the customer in terms of how she or he is using the service? For the customer experience team and for the product team is another benefit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, you know, there's multiple benefits. I mean, you know, we talk about this all the time. And to be fair, the way that we talk about this, it's not just for this specific industry and this specific market. You know, the value of what you know the, what the digital route software provides is common to many industries. Um, but this is just another example of, of of how that's helped them. Yeah, because I think since we also in this dialogue we emphasize pricing models quite a lot. Mm. I think to a large extent in the industry today, when we speak about usage-based or consumption-based models, the immediate thought is it's the pricing that it impacts. But your point is that pricing is one factor that it impacts, Mm. but it also provides analytics and feedback loop back to the product team and the customer experience team in terms of observing the usage patterns and behaviors and how they can constantly improve the service for the users. Yeah, yeah. And it's the point that we're, we're constantly trying to get across, you know, in all of our conversations is the relevance of usage data. It's not just for billing. You know, you know, some people's interpretation is what we do is just it's just so you can get more accurate bills. It's really not. It's about understanding the engagement that your customers have with your product so that you can understand and learn um, and serve them better, you know, with better agility and, you know, and more uh, attention to, their, to, to them as customers. So back to Pepper CRM, having this kind of a solution in place, 
what's their playback to the market than if you summarize? Um, you know, well, really, they've been, you know, they're now in a position, they're confident that they're getting the data they need so that they can be creative and put a new business model out there on the market, which is primarily going to be uh, usage-based. Um, you know, what they're aiming to do now is to, instead of going there with a flat license model, you you know, buy so many seats, what they're actually going to do now is open up their software to all of the potential users in a customer and let them use the software. And then by them using the software, albeit they're not going to open the entire entire product to everybody and that everybody mm -hmm. has it for free, okay. um, they're going to open up an element of the software in all of the most important business areas that that customer is likely to use it. Um, and then from, from doing that, from having that exposure inside their customers, then they can learn, oh, well, actually, this particular customer, 80% of their users are only using the CRM functionality, the reporting and everything else. So that's clearly something that's very important to them. So now, you know, let's think about how we can create a package which will better serve them. And then we can convince that customer, listen, we've been seeing how you've been using the free trial period or the first three months of your software. Right. Now here's a here's a software that's really going to serve your business needs. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's that's such a different take on what it was previously. Where here's some seats, yeah, go and use it. You know, we don't we don't really care what you use, but here's some seats. Oh, oh yeah, well you haven't got the functionality you need, or you're growing a bit bigger. Okay, well here's another package. You've got to pay us more money. And it's such a change in terms of customer experience. So when you loop back to what their primary differentiator is going to be it's about customer experience and that's ultimately what's going to stop them um, getting joining the customer base can you give an example of where digital route has done this yeah i mean we've done it you know a number of you know a number of our SaaS based customers that have that have adopted us or they've started moving to usage based pricing have got a very similar story you know to the one i've just told uh, one interesting case and one that's been publicly spoken about is is um is sap you know, I mean, SAP is a key partner of Digital Route, you know, as most people will know. Um, but actually, you know, they've actually um, pretty much drunk their own Kool-Aid <laughs> by deploying um, our software to help them simplify um, the way they collect the data and they streamline the way that they can create their business models, etc. So, you know, SAP is a, is a typical example of this one. Um, basically, they wanted to orchestrate billing information for one of their SaaS-based offerings. Um, also, they wanted to shift from seat-based to credit-based business model. Um, so not full usage-based, but if you think about what credit-based is, <laughs> it's very similar. It's just that you're working against a, an entitlement to use so much of the of the software that you've that you're buying. Um, and but now what it's what it's turned out to be, they have now got the flexibility to be creative, you know, and to launch two to three services per month and have full control over their usage data. You know, and that's that's one way that one example of how we've helped a particular customer. You mentioned an important point. You said that the credit-based system is quite close to and similar to usage-based. And your point here is that in order for a successful credit-based system to be deployed, you need to be able to measure usage super accurately. That's your point. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it comes on to another, you know, another area, which I'm sure we'll talk about in another use case and another podcast of entitlements. 
you know, so in order for entitlements to work or what used to be termed policy management, you know, how much is a particular user entitled to use of your software? You need to measure usage. You've got to know what they've used, how long they've used it for, when they used it, where they used it, from what from what machine did they use it from? You know, all of these challenges, um, you know, can be addressed by um, good management of usage data. Yeah. Some customers are a little bit nervous around introducing usage-based model introduces volatility from a revenue forecasting. What's your view on that? <laughs> I get asked this quite regularly, actually. Um, I mean, it, it has been talked about quite a lot, you know, by analysts in the industry. There is a worry, there is a concern about moving to a full usage-based model. Um, once you've got a license-based model, you've got very predictable revenues coming in, very predictable. If you then switch to full usage based, so you turn off your license model, you switch to 100% usage based, you're going to see a, a drop. You know, there will be a drop, obviously, um, because people are only going to pay for what they've used. Where alternatively, with a seat based license, we don't really care how much of they use, they, they're using of the license. You know, they may only use it once a month. Doesn't matter, they're paying their fee. So there is that. However, over the longer term, what you're actually going to be able to do is properly tailor your product to the way your customers are using it, which will give you more longevity. It'll reduce the risk of churn um, and all of those sort of benefits that you'll see in the more longer term. So my answer, and this is my opinion on this one, is don't go from seat-based license, turn it off at the end of November, 1st of December, turn on usage-based, which is something companies won't do anyway. Think of an interim step in between where you've got a hybrid pricing model where you're keeping some license going, but you start testing your usage-based model as well. So you're offering two options. And then start putting incentives behind your usage-based model um, with some of your lead customers. And then gradually over time, as you're learning the way that those customers are using, businesses are using your CRM software, for example, then you can start putting out to market tailored packages which will help attract the other license-based customers onto usage-based so you know it's not a turn the lights off turn the lights on sort of situation um but i think the long-term um benefits of having usage-based have been documented in the industry quite extensively over the last couple of years steve do you have any final advice you want to leave us with and for everybody who's been listening to this one thing to kind of embark on the same journey I think, I mean, really, I think in the in the world we live in today where everybody is cost conscious, businesses and consumers, um, companies have got to think from the outside in. They've got to be thinking about how do I serve customers better? Stop thinking in the old terms, which is let's see if we can milk as much as we can out of our customer base and start thinking about how do we serve customers better because that will benefit companies in the long in the longer term. I'm, I'm convinced of it. That's a great point to end on. Thank you so much, Steve. Okay, thanks.